Good morning. If you'll open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 56 with me. Isaiah chapter 56. Somebody came up to me earlier and said, you got a haircut. Man, you really got it buzzed up, didn't you? I said, you know, getting a haircut in Dothan is kind of like a box of chocolates. Mm. (laughs) You don't really know what you're going to get. It really just depends on what music's being played. A couple times last month I went in, they were playing Coldplay. It was a bit longer, a bit more length to it. This time it was Imagine Dragons. Man, it's buzzed up. So quite an experience. Isaiah 56, uh, I want to give you just a touch of background. And again, we preached Hebrews 4 to give you some New Testament perspective last time on the Sabbath, that there still remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. Now we're going to come back to Isaiah, Isaiah 56. Um, And let, let me give you the big picture. Three major parts to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 to 39, God confronts the Jewish nation with their failure to obey Him and listen to Him and keep His covenant. And He says they've become like the nations. They they worship the gods of the nations. They've even offered their children as sacrifices to those gods. And therefore, God has brought them into destruction through the nation of exile or Babylon. They've been exiled. Now, chapter 40 to 55, part 2 of the book, what we see is a promise of deliverance and a promise of hope. Short term, you're going to be delivered by a Persian king named Cyrus. He's going to bring you back the return to your homeland. Long term, we see these four pictures of what we know as the suffering servant, the one who's going to deliver you from your sin. Chapter 53 is the last he tells us about the suffering servant. And of course, when Jesus takes up his ministry, what does he do? He goes in the local synagogue and he takes it up and he reads, I am the suffering servant, essentially. Okay? Chapter 54, he picks up on that. Don't let shame keep you from the grace of the suffering servant. Chapter 55, don't let your religious pride keep you from the free grace of the suffering servant. Now here we are in chapter 56 this morning to the end. Chapter 66. It's the interim. Suffering servants come. You've been returned or will be returned. How are you going to live? So there's two messages here. For, For Judah that's come out of Babylon and they've been returned to their land. Now they're waiting on the Messiah, the suffering servant to come. There's that gap. How are you going to live? And for the church, because he ends with the new heavens and the new earth. So between the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, chapter 53, 66, the new heavens, new earth, here we are. How are you going to live? And what he tells us is, keep justice and do righteousness. Church, keep justice and do righteousness. Okay, how do I do that? Well, that's what we're going to see. Isaiah 56, if you'd read with me, and we're going to go through verse 8. 
1 to 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch who says, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, holds fast My covenant. These I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. Let's pray for our time. Oh Lord, we praise you. We come to you as outcasts, people who were not part of the original covenant of grace, and yet you have called us Gentiles to yourself. You've grafted us into all the promises accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. And now we are on sure footing, Lord. Christ is in us, our surety that we are accepted. Father, and thank you that that work is not finished. But Lord, we have a need to do righteousness and keep justice with those that You are working in, the foreigner and the eunuch in our midst. Lord, those who feel like outcasts, those who feel like they don't belong for one reason or another. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in divine and amazing ways in the hearts of this church so that when the poorest of the poor of those who come in that speak a different language or those who the world says are outcasts, yet they love You, God, they would receive the warmest and most accepting of welcomes in this church because that's what doing justice and righteousness is. Lord, use Your Word today uh, to glorify Your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, when God tells His people, in, in the interim here, I want you to practice justice and righteousness while you're waiting on the suffering servant to come. He focuses then on how you treat other people, particularly foreigners and eunuchs. Two people who would have naturally been shunned, but God says, don't let the foreigner who has joined himself to me, in other words, don't let the one who's become a believer believe that certainly the Lord will separate him or cast him out. And in other words, how do we wait on Christ to come again, church? It's by showing justice and righteousness to the outcast, to the outsider, 
the one who comes from a non-Christian background, and yet they become believers. Ray Ortland tells a story of a church that had to wrestle with this very thing in the 1960s. You might remember there was a great movement of the Holy Spirit around America in, in, in the hippie community. They called it the Jesus Movement and lots of other things. And one city experienced an outpouring of the Spirit that was remarkable. It was Costa Mesa in California. God began to work there and teenage kids who were living essentially on the beach, they were hearing the Gospel and they were becoming saved. And so they would come right off the beach, right into the nearest church, sometimes filthy, not wearing shoes or a shirt. And they didn't understand the church culture or expectations. They just knew that Jesus loved them and He forgave them and He had died for them. Well, one Sunday morning, there was a pastor by the name of Pastor Smith, and he shows up to church, and there's a sign in front of the, congreg- in front of the sanctuary that says, shirts and shoes, please. He took it down. And after the service, he met with the leaders of his congregation, and they agreed that these kids were more important than the new carpet and the clean pews. Now that started a revival where the church had to hold five services a week because they were seeing so many people come to know the Lord. When the church began to love the people of God more than the furniture of God, God's Spirit began to work in remarkable ways. And and that's what we see in Isaiah 66. You can imagine the people of Judah, right? They're returning to their homeland. They've been away for so long. They've been in exile. They've been in slavery. And what do you find? Things are very different than when you left. Right? For starters, someone is sleeping in your bed. The foreigners have occupied the land in the cities. And they've created a, a very new culture, very different, with different values. A, a religious mixture of paganism and Jewish faith. And God says to them here, keep justice, do righteousness. How? Well, for the outsider that's believed, help them keep the Sabbath. (laughs) And what God is saying is, will you care for the people who return to you and probably feel like outcasts because of what happened to them in Babylon, how they were treated? Will you love the foreigner who loves me and is now converted, even though he or she looks very different than you do? Has a different color skin? Speaks with a different accent? Maybe a different language altogether? Eats different food? And maybe has treated your people very badly in the past? And the clear message is, accept those God accepts. The Lord accepts all those who love Him in Christ, and His people must also, even if they have taken your land, your wealth, your cities. Maybe they've even harmed your family in the past. You see, my friends, justice and righteousness are tangible. Not just a nod of the head or a few words of niceties to people, but worship with them. Live life with them instead of fear of separation. They experience in the church 
grace and acceptance by how you treat them. Justice and righteousness are not ideas we put on the wall. They are people that we love and engage in the church. Well, how do I do that? Well, verse 8 says, you must know that you were an outcast first. Right? You were the foreigner. The one that was cut off from the covenant of grace except for the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to save you. And he says he's not done doing that. He's going to continue to do that. He's going to bring people, outsiders, into His church that are full of shame and guilt. That fearful when they come, when you find out about them and you see that they're different than you, you're going to treat them improperly. And He says, treat them with justice and righteousness while you wait on the Messiah to come again. So here's our main idea today. That God has called you, called you, called me to do justice and righteousness for all believers. For all believers. Verse 1. Look in your Bibles with me. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come. And my deliverance will be revealed. Let's stop. One of the marks of God's people is they do justice. They keep righteousness. So much so that Isaiah opens his book with the fact that Israel was not doing this. Chapter 5, verse 7. Let me read that. And he looked for justice. And behold, bloodshed. For righteousness. But behold, outcry. Genuine faith can't be divorced from how we live. Often the Christian church does not understand or take seriously the call to justice and righteousness. We can miss it. Micah 6.8 says it very well for us. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God? Another way to say that is for those saved by grace through faith in Christ, walking with God is to do justice and live righteously on this earth. So, how does Isaiah command them and command us to do that? Well, he starts with the Sabbath. Okay, there's point one. Keep justice and do righteousness by honoring the Sabbath. Verse 2. Let's read it together. Verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Notice those words. He's talking to you. Blessed is the man or blessed is the woman. You might say it includes you there. Doing justice and righteousness is an individual thing. He's not saying church community, covenant community, go start a soup kitchen. No, it's not a program or an activity he's calling us to here. It's talking to you, believer, You have a responsibility to practice justice and righteousness. How? Now this is surprising. Look there in your Scriptures, verse 2. Who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps His hand from doing any evil. Notice, He links keeping justice and doing righteousness with the man or woman who keeps the Sabbath. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? That is surprising to us, but it would not be surprising to them. You see, it is much more than God telling His people, if you want to live a righteous life, then keep all the laws, including the Sabbath. Now that's true. But here, 
the relationship with keeping justice and doing righteousness is God's heart for not just you, for others. So let me, let me explain. The Sabbath had to do with rest and worship. Not just for the master of the house, but for the servants, even as animals and foreigners in the land. It is God's grace to the church that He calls us to Himself, particularly one day of week, for spiritual food and physical rest. And like we said in Hebrews 4, God says there still remains a Sabbath rest for you. Now in God's eyes, it is absolutely unjust and unrighteous to not care for those under your authority or in your family or under your care. And that starts with making sure that they have a true Sabbath day of rest. In other words, God is saying that is what they need most. That's true justice and righteousness to those under your care. Okay, but Rusty, um, don't you know that the New Testament gets rid of the Old Testament laws, including the Sabbath? No, it does not. It doesn't get rid of the Sabbath. It clarifies the purpose of the Sabbath and speaks against the abuses of it. You say, okay, what kind of abuses? Well, this is where the Pharisees got it wrong. Worship and rest don't mean do nothing always and just sit and pray only. Sit and read the Scripture only. But worship includes keeping justice and doing righteousness. Catch that. Worship on Sundays, on the Sabbath, includes keeping justice and doing righteousness. And that's what Jesus did. John 5.17 My Father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. This was said when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. My Father's working. I'm working today. Doing justice and righteousness. Jesus always used the Sabbath to accomplish justice and righteousness. Consider this. He taught on the Sabbath, yes. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He cast out demons on the Sabbath. He healed a man with dropsy. He healed the man with a withered hand. He healed the lame man at the pool of Siloam. He healed the man born blind all on the Sabbath. And I am convinced he made a point to heal people on the Sabbath to restore what was lost. That the Sabbath is a day of rest and worship. Yes, but doing justice and righteousness is worship. And Jesus demonstrates that for us. So what should you be doing on the Sabbath. Yes, rest and worship. But that means doing justice and giving righteousness to others. You don't have to go to the soup kitchen to do that. Okay? I'm not saying you can't. I'd love for you to. But you can start by asking, am I committed to my spouse, my children, my employees, experiencing the grace of a real Sabbath day. I'm asking, do you care for your spouse, your children, your employees justly, the way He says to? Are you committed to them having a day of physical rest and spiritual nourishment? 
where they can step aside from all the world says that they must be doing to get ahead? Or maybe you push your children to study or practice music or play sports when God wants them to have a foretaste of eternity. A day to rest and worship. What about your spouse? Are you jealous for what is good for them? Or do you push them to work so you can afford that new car or have just a little bit more cushion in the bank account which makes you feel safe and secure? What about your employees? Do you treat them with righteousness by giving them days of rest and worship? Or does the bottom line always push you to call them in to work a few more hours to get a bit more done? And thus says the Lord, Keep justice. Do righteousness. And Jesus says, it is My day. The righteous thing to do for your family, for your employees, for yourself, is to love people well by committing to their lives having a real day of rest and worship where they can be truly refreshed and grow in their knowledge of Him. Point two. Notice, after He calls us as individuals to keep justice and do righteousness by keeping the Sabbath, He calls us to keep justice and do righteousness by loving the outsider. That's verse 3 to 5. If you look in your Bibles with me, we'll read that together. Verse 3 to 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from His people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. We'll stop right there. Start. You see those two? Foreigner and eunuch? You see those? We're going to start with the foreigner. Notice, he's talking about believers. Verse 3. Who has joined himself to the Lord. Verse 6. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. So who is he talking about? Well, when Judah was released by King Cyrus to come back to their land, they found there were foreigners there who'd taken their land, their farms, their city, their homes, sleeping in their beds, you might say. And God is saying, while you were away, many of these have become believers. They have joined to the Lord. They keep the Sabbath. They're part of the covenant now. And to them, keep justice and do righteousness. In other words, accept those God accepts. Now notice this. Notice what the foreigner is expecting. Verse 3, look in your Bibles. The Lord will surely separate me from His people. They are expecting rejection from God when the Jews return. They are expecting to be treated like true outcasts. Why? Because of the language they speak. Because of the color of their skin, their nationality, what their ancestors had done. They were expecting revenge and rejection, not acceptance. Now, let's go from the foreigner to the eunuch. Verse 3. Look at the eunuch. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. Stop. These eunuchs were probably Jews who during the times of the Exodus were mutilated 
against their own wills so that they could serve in homes of foreign lords and leaders. They didn't want to be eunuchs. They were chosen. They were forced. And now they're coming home. They're believers. They keep the Sabbath, he says. They honor God. They, they know the covenant. And they, like the foreigner, would have an expectation of how am I going to be treated when I come home? And notice the command there. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Stop. You say, what does that mean? Well, a dry tree can't produce anything, so it's chopped down. And certainly these eunuchs, when they come home, they think, I can't marry. I can't have family. I'm worthless to the future of our country. They might chop me down. They might take my life because I can't produce. So you have two people groups gripped with fear that they will be treated unjustly by God's people even though that they believe they will never be accepted. One because of their nationality and skin color. The other because of how they've been sinned against in the past. Their fleshly mutilation. Their inability to give what the culture needs. Now notice this. How God of justice and righteousness will treat them Verse 5, verse 5. To the eunuch, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I love that. God removes the fear of not being able to produce anything of value of leaving no legacy behind, of just being a dry tree that's cut off. And he says, he will use the eunuchs in such a way that their names will be like monuments. Far greater than having a generation of children that people remember you by. God is saying, I know you feel worthless. I know you feel like you have nothing to give. But you are mine and I am going to use you in such an incredible way even though you think you're useless. Such a way that they will put a monument in my house. Remember Him for what He's done. And to the foreigner who fears being rejected, verse 7, look in your Bibles. These I will bring to my holy mountain and Make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Foreigner, you're fully accepted to come worship. Come to the temple. Make your sacrifices for your sin. Offer up your prayers with a joyful heart because through faith, you're accepted. For God's house is one of worship for all people. Now I want you to lastly notice how he closes. Verse 8. Let's read that. Look at this. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to Him beside those who already gathered. You see what he's doing? You're outcast. Israel, I gathered you. I made you a nation. It is all of my grace that you are what you are. That you have the promises of salvation. You didn't earn that. I chose you. And I'm not done choosing and showing grace. I will bring in more outcasts. 
And guess what, brothers and sisters? That's us. If you're a believer. And He commanded them, now, you show them justice and righteousness when they come into you by faith. And that same command is for us. So I want to ask you as we close, have you separated yourself from other believers? You treat some as foreigners without full acceptance because of their skin color, their nationality, maybe how someone like them or in their people group hurt you, your family in the past. Maybe just because you were taught that you're better than anyone else who does not look like you. Well, in the city of Antioch, in the New Testament, Peter came to visit Paul, and they had a real good time for a while. Because there were Gentiles coming to Christ, and the proof was they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they would have amazing evenings of worship and prayer where they all gathered and they all broke bread together. And then something changes, Galatians 2 tells us. There's a group of Jews called the Judaizers, and they came, and they were probably very well educated, very well thought of in the community, and they began to say these Gentiles need to be circumcised. And that affected Peter. So that when they all got together now, Peter would no longer eat with the Gentiles. They were foreigners and eunuchs to him. He would only eat with the Jews. And Paul steps in and Paul rebukes him. And Paul says, you are out of step with the Gospel. Same thing as Isaiah 56. You are not doing justice and righteousness. You see, the church must be an open community warmly embracing all who are seeking acceptance from God or have become disciples of Jesus regardless of their background, their ethnicity, their skin color, their religious history. And God tells you, Christian, keep justice and do righteousness by fully accepting them in my house of worship. How do we think and live this? Two things. Two things. First, You are out of step with the Gospel. As seen in the Old Testament and the New, if you treat anyone who professes Christ in a prejudiced, non-accepting way, you are passing judgment where God says forgiven. You are saying unclean where Jesus has made them clean. You are saying they are not good enough for Me, though Christ has made them acceptable to the high, righteous King in Heaven. Secondly, Don't tell yourself that God won't accept you if you feel like a eunuch, somebody who's damaged because of their past, or you feel like a foreigner, someone who's different than other believers around you. There are no lines of exclusion in the church of Christ. The sinful world draws lines, but the cross erases them. The doors of the kingdom of God are wide open to those who will repent and believe. So, Leave those fears of rejection, of having your past found out, of being sinned against and how that's happened to you. God the Father knows these things. And He says to you, through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of His people. 
His house is a house of praise and worship for you. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for you. He accepts you fully and completely as He does every other believer. Completely. My grace is sufficient for all outcasts that He calls to Himself. Father, I just praise You. I praise You for the Gospel. And I thank You how it deals with our heart. We want to be a people, Lord, who apply justice and righteousness to those in our household by making sure they have a day of rest and worship. A foretaste of eternity. Not in a legalistic way, not in a harsh way, but in a way, Lord, that endears them to come and worship and sit in the Father's lap. And in a way that makes them want to know our Heavenly Father. And I pray, Father, that we would be brave. We would trust the Gospel message of oneness, Lord. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, treat everybody in the Kingdom of God with justice and righteousness as accepted folk in Christ. And I pray this in the name of our risen Savior, ascended on high, Jesus Christ. Amen.